Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams, so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Whether you're making a delicious family meal or a post-workout snack, choose the farm-fresh taste of Eggland's best eggs. Only Eggland's best hens are fed their proprietary all-vegetarian feed. That's what makes their eggs more nutritious. With 10 times more vitamin E, 25% less saturated fat, and 6 times more vitamin D compared to ordinary eggs. Eggland's best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com to learn more. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and entertaining and supplemented them with additional research into Ashanti traditions. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. Anansi climbed the twisted and gnarled tree trunk, his grip slipping as rain started to come down. He wouldn't let this stop him. It was just another obstacle sent by his father. Behind him, yet another family member attempted to hinder his progress. His son, his firstborn, Antikuma, was also clamoring up the tree trunk. The impudent boy thought he was cleverer than Anansi, Anansi was sure of it. Everyone wanted what Anansi had, wisdom. He held all of it in a pot on his back. They wouldn't touch it. They couldn't have it. Another bolt of lightning illuminated his limbs in front of him. They were long and spindly, and there were eight of them. In truth, he was not climbing, but crawling up the tree— not an hour ago, he had become Anansi the Spider, but he shook this thought from his head and continued to ascend. From behind him, his son called out, Father, you must stop! This will lead to nothing good! You want to take everything from me, and I have so little left! My godhood gone, my body transformed to that of a spider! You still have your family! And I am worse for it! This last insult was more than Antikuma could bear. Gripping the tree trunk with his powerful hands, he began to shake the tree. Up above, Anansi slipped and plummeted back down to earth. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app, 
tap browse and type mythology in the search bar. At Parcast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help. Today, we're finishing our story of Anansi, the spider trickster of West African and Caribbean folklore. Last week, we followed the god Kweku as he tricked his father, the sky god Niame, into giving the humans civilization and culture. He was then cast out of the heavens, turned into a human known as Anansi. This week, we'll follow Anansi as he lives as a man, but continues his trickster ways. It's not an easy thing to go from being a god to being human. Only a few have tried it, and always to mixed results. Anansi had been insolent to his father, the sky god Niame, and had been cast down to earth. Though he missed being a god, he had always wanted to make friends with the humans. He had little choice but to make the best of the situation. Unfortunately, he was currently lying in the middle of the road, being kicked by a rather rude girl from the village. As he picked himself up and dusted himself off, he surveyed the girl in front of him. She kicked him again and shouted for him to get out of the road. Anansi could see that her beauty was a far cry from the goddesses he was used to. She wore an ugly bark robe, and her braided hair was full of leaves. Her dark skin was quite beautiful, but splotched with dirt, cuts, and bruises. Nevertheless, this is what he wanted, to make friends with a human. He had expended so much energy to bring civilization and culture to these people, though he had not expected to become one of them. With a pang of guilt, he remembered his mother, Asaseya, Mother Earth. She was all around him, but they could not converse as they used to. She must have been heartbroken. While Anansi continued to brood, he looked longingly at the savannah, until the girl spoke up. What's wrong with you, stranger? First you block the road, now you stand there looking sad. What's wrong? Can't you talk? I... Of course I can talk, human. What business is it of yours? You... You must have somewhere to be, surely. That I do, stranger. I'll be on my way then. Perhaps do your best in the future to avoid taking a nap in the middle of the road? Ha! What is your name, impudent woman? I am a Konorea, a wife from the village. And you? My name is Kwe... Anansi. I'm Anansi. Strange name. Always go forward, Anansi. As the confident Okonorea walked away down the road, Anansi's overwhelming sadness gave way to curiosity. This woman had impressed him, reminded him that this whole journey had been to enlighten the humans and befriend them. He should meet more humans. It then occurred to him that the other humans were probably in the direction Okonorea was heading. He ran after her. This was the land that would one day be known as Ghana, but for now was simply the Earth. It was all the villagers knew. 
Thanks to Anansi, they now had civilization and culture, and all the hardships that came with it, such as war, back-breaking work, and the judgment of their peers. But it was still better than the old days, when they lived in caves and fought lions on the savannah. As Anansi arrived in Okonorea's village, he was impressed to find a large celebration underway. The village, which would one day be known as Kumase, but for now was simply the village, was crowded with every member of the tribe, young and old. They beat on drums, danced and sang songs. Off to one side, Anansi saw several containers filled with all kinds of food. Goat stew, mashed yams and beans abounded. They were just sitting there, untouched. Anansi realized for the first time that he was hungry. He had always seen his animal friends eating, but had never felt hunger until now. It was an unpleasant sensation. He moved to sample some of the food. As he filled a bowl with beans, a hand reached out and slapped him on the wrist. He looked up with shock to see that Okonorea had returned. Anansi, what are you doing here? You're not a member of this tribe. Okonorea? No, of course not. I just... I wanted to join the party. This is a funeral. Oh. Well, then, I wanted to pay my respects. You knew my mother? Ah, oh, wonderful, wonderful woman. In fact, I am so aggrieved that I shall refuse all food. I will starve in memory of sweet, sweet, uh, your mother. He dumped the bowl of beans onto the ground. Okonorea eyed him with suspicion, but she was moved by his pledge. She left him there, joining the funeral procession. As she went, she was joined by her husband, Akwasi. Looking down at his stomach, Anansi realized that he was still very hungry, and yet he had promised Okonorea he wouldn't eat anything. He had been a human for a few hours, and already it was proving difficult. Perhaps he could save some of the food for later. He may have been a human, but he was still the cleverest being in the universe. Moving quickly, he snatched a straw hat left on the ground and moved back over to the food. While Okonorea wasn't watching, he scooped a bunch of beans into the hat and then placed it on his head. Anansi patted himself on the back for being so clever, Okonorea would be none the wiser. But then he felt a strange sensation on the top of his head. The beans were hot, and they began to burn his scalp, melting right through his hair. He wasn't used to pain. He didn't know this was a part of being human. But before he could take the hat off, Okonorea broke from the crowd, asking him to join them in giving speeches. All he could do was nod in agreement and move to join her in the circle. We're gathered here to honor my mother. I thank you all for coming and paying your respects. A friend of hers from a neighboring village traveled all the way here to mourn her. We'll let him speak first. Anansi? Hmm? Oh, you, ah, uh, you want me to, to speak? Ouch! Is something wrong? No, I just... Ah! The beans! They burn! 
Before he could even attempt a eulogy, the pain became too great. He ripped off his hat and began to push the beans off his head with his hands. Only this caused his hands to burn as well. Pieces of his scalp came away, and soon he was completely bald. He looked at the clumps of bloody hair in his hands, and not having ever seen blood before, passed out onto the ground. All were horrified at this behavior, except for Okonorea. She saw the beans on the ground and immediately realized that he had tried to impress her. She took sympathy on him and thought that once his scalp healed, he would look nice with a bald head. Akwasi, my husband, help me carry this poor wretch into our home. You want to take him into our home? After he made a scene in front of our guests? After he tried to steal our beans? Oh, hush, husband. We have plenty of beans, and he came all this way to honor my mother. Here, pick up his legs. I'll get the head. And so they carried Anansi's unconscious body across the village and into their hut. Once inside, they laid him out in front of the fire, where Okonorea cleaned his wound and applied a mud salve. Anansi awoke some time later to the sight of Okonorea stirring a pot at the fire. Her cooking smelled wonderful. That smells delicious. What is it that you are cooking? Oh, Anansi. I'm glad to see that you're awake. It is impoto. Yams. My mother used to make it. Here, have some. You need strength. Mm, mm, thank you for your kindness. Okonorea, I must confess, I find you... You make me sad. W wait, no, that's not the word. Sad, but in a good way. Sad because I long to be with you. Anansi, hush! I've known you for half a day. Though I will admit that perhaps you're mildly amusing. I am married! If Akwasi heard you talking like this, he would throw you to a crocodile! Up! Up! You're well enough. It's time for you to leave. And with that, she pushed Anansi out the door of the hut, slamming it behind him. But outside, Anansi was not deterred. She finds me amusing, he thought. Yes, she was already married, but when it came to humans, nothing was forever. A wicked grin spread across Anansi's face. If he was cleverer than Nyame, the creator of everything, he was certainly cleverer than a mortal man like Aquasi. Next, Anansi schemes to marry Okonorea. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Now back to the story. 
A Nazi, the trickster, was adjusting to life as a human rather well. He had become a member of the Ashanti tribe. As the cleverest being in the universe, it was easy for him to manipulate his way into a roof over his head and food in his belly. Now that he was here, he would do his best to have things both ways. He would befriend the humans, become their leader, and somehow find his way back to his father's kingdom and reclaim his godhood. But he was unhappy, for what he wanted the most was something he couldn't have. Okonorea was neither the most beautiful nor the most respected woman in the village, but she was full of spirit. Perhaps it was because she was the first human he had met, but Anansi was obsessed with her. The only problem was that she was married to a Kwasi, who Anansi secretly referred to as the Jealous One. Though any man would be jealous if another man spent as much time around his wife as Anansi spent around a Konorea. After several days with the Ashanti people, Anansi devised a plan to take Okonorea away from Akwasi. Using the knowledge gleaned from his mother, he combined figs, goose fat, and castor oil into a powerful laxative. Then he went out onto the savanna and hunted several buffalo. Cutting steaks from their carcasses, he coated the meat in the laxative, and with a cart full of the stuff, he headed to Akwasi's door. Akwasi, are you in there? I have brought you a gift. Ah, hello there. Uh, that is very kind of you. Uh, what was your name again? Rise up and make love to my wife. Excuse me? No, that's my name. It's very old. Passed down through the generations in the village that I grew up in. Oh, forgive me. I, I didn't know. It means something very different here. What have you brought me? The finest buffalo meat, fresh from the plains. Everyone in the village has been so welcoming. I thought we might dine together tonight on the spoils of my hunt. Akwasi, impressed by Anansi's generosity, invited his neighbor inside. He was jealous and a fool. Rise up and make love to my wife. I must thank you again for this meat. It is delicious but I do wish you would have some. No, no, I couldn't. They're all for you. Is, is your wife coming home tonight by any chance? Oh, Okonoreya? Yes, she is just visiting her brother's family tonight. She should be home at any moment. Why do you ask? I've noticed the two of you speaking often in the market. She is most helpful in showing me what to purchase. I merely wish to thank her for being so kind. Nothing more. Well, make sure that's all it is. I would hate for our friendship to turn sour. Just then, Akwasi grabbed his stomach in pain. Jumping from his seat at the fire, he ran to the corner of the hut where they kept their waste bucket. Sitting atop it, he let loose a terrible cascade of diarrhea. Anansi acted surprised, offering to help Akwasi but the other man pushed him away at first, embarrassed by this sudden outpouring of stool. Just then, the door opened, and Anansi turned to see Okonorea entering, shocked at the scene playing out before her. Anansi? 
What are you doing here? What on earth did you do to Aquasi? Oh, wife, do not blame our new neighbor. I must have simply eaten too much food. Aquasi doubled over in pain. Okonorea moved to help him, but Anansi stopped her. He lied and said he didn't know what had made Aquasi so sick and that she better stay away in case it was infectious. As Aquasi continued to writhe in pain, he finally relented, calling out to his new neighbor for help. Rise up and make love to my wife, please! What did you just say? I believe we both heard him. Clearly he is on death's door and does not want you to be alone. We should go now and obey his final wishes. And with that, Anansi whisked Okonorea out of the cabin and off into the woods outside of the village. There, he ripped off her robe and began to make love to her. Though at first Okonorea was confused by the whole situation, she chose to be with Anansi, giving in to a lust that had been building since she first saw him on the road. Anansi had never been with a woman before. This was the most base and animalistic of human acts, and he found it mesmerizing. This was the kind of connection he had wanted when he was a lonely godling. This is why he wanted his father to bring civilization and culture to the humans. When they finally finished, Anansi and Okonorea held each other in the tall grass, staring up at the stars. Anansi no longer regretted that he could not return to his father's kingdom. The earth, humanity, was much better. But just then, they heard footsteps approaching. Sitting up, they were shocked to see Aquasi. What is the meaning of this? Aquasi! I thought you were dead! No, woman, it was diarrhea, nothing more! I am sick for an hour and you leave me for some other man? But you said, rise up and make love to my wife! That is his name! It is old and passed down among generations of his tribe! It was then that Akonorea realized that both she and Aquasi were the victims of Anansi's cleverness. She turned to her lover, fury in her eyes. Anansi, how could you? You've led me to dishonor myself and my husband. She slapped him across the face and gathering her robe, took Aquasi back to their hut before he could start a fight. Anansi was left to stew in defeat. He had been a fool to think that his plan would lead to him being with Okonorea forever. As his father had said when casting him out of the sky, Anansi was he who dupes others and is always duped himself. But the ultimate punishment for his actions lay around the corner. Though he didn't know it, Anansi had just gotten Okonorea pregnant. Her husband had never been able to. Tribal law dictated that if a man could not get his wife pregnant and another man did, then the other man should take the wife for his own. Anansi, unaware of this law, was rudely greeted one morning by a furious Okonorea. Anansi, you fool! Wake up! I'm pregnant and it is all your fault! The tribe knows that Aquasi is infertile, and so I had to admit that the child is yours. Pregnant? 
What is pregnant? Oh, you fool! How could I have ever thought you were charming? It's like talking to a child who lives his life free of consequence. Well, now you will see what that is like. When you raise a child of your own. A child? I cannot raise a child. I, I am only a few thousand years old. Children need food and shelter and other things that I cannot provide. Oh, you will provide these things for your child and for me. Come, we're to be married at once. You got your wish after all. But this is not what Anansi imagined being with Okonorea would be like. Instead of more passionate lovemaking, he was given land and expected to maintain it. As her belly grew, she stayed inside the hut while he worked on their crops day in and day out. He had to turn up the soil using rickety wooden tools. He had to pay for seeds in town with money he had to borrow from neighbors. He had to water those seeds daily with heavy jugs that he carried from the river. And the worst part was that he had to keep doing these things every single day, along with a hundred other chores. His feet hurt and were full of blisters. His hands weren't much better. His back ached, and he was always sticky with sweat. Looking up at the sun, Anansi cursed himself for having placed it there all those years ago. He imagined his father watching from his palace, laughing as Anansi struggled as a human. Curse you, father! What kind of a creator takes pleasure in the suffering of his own child? You are no god of mine! You are a beast! A creature! An unfeeling thing! He spat into the sky, only for the wind to carry it back down onto his own face. He returned to working the soil, continuing to curse under his breath. Winter came, and Okonorea gave birth to a boy, who they named Antikuma. The meaning of that name has been lost to time, but from the beginning, it was clear that Anansi would not make a great father. He resented the work he had to do to support the child, and could not wait until Intikuma was grown and could fend for himself. Though Anansi's love for his child was minimal, his lust for Okonorea had only grown. After a time, she did allow him back into her bed, and before long, she was pregnant once more. Anansi cursed himself, but he could not keep from making love to his wife. When their new son was born, he was different from his older brother, Antikuma. Whereas Antikuma was well-formed and in good health, the newest addition to the family had a strangely large head. It was so big that he had nearly split his mother in two on his way into the world. Anansi secretly wondered if perhaps this was another cruel joke by his father. Was the child's big head supposed to represent the ego he inherited from his father? Anansi could not share these musings out loud. Okonorea still did not know his origins, nor did he think there was any way of getting her to believe him. Months turned into years, and eventually, Anansi had two more sons, both of whom also had similar strange deformities. While one had a giant protruding belly, 
The other had extremely skinny, spider-like legs. Anansi was sure his father was taunting him from the sky. As the children aged and the years of working the earth took their toll, Anansi finally decided he'd had enough of the farming life. He'd had enough of raising children. He'd even had enough of a conorea. His back was starting to bend, and he now sported a gray beard. Sitting among his yam patch one morning, he longed for the simple pleasures of life as a god. He began to scheme of a way to escape his new life and return to his old one. It would take his cleverest scheme yet. After many hours of thought, it occurred to him— People had come to expect deceit from Anansi, and his latest scheme would not disappoint them. To escape his life, he would have to die. Next, Anansi fakes his own death. Now back to the story. After years of work, pain, and boredom, Anansi was fed up with domestic life. He was ready to give it all up, to return to a life of comfort. But since he couldn't just cry out to his father, Niame, to turn him back into a god, he devised a plan to at least be comfortable on earth. He would pretend to be sick and succumb to this fake illness. By leaving specific plans for his coffin, he would be able to live a life of leisure without anyone being the wiser. He may have been older, but he was still the cleverest being in the universe. The next morning, he stayed in bed, waiting for his wife, Okonorea, to come to him. <coughs> Anansi, husband, what is wrong with you? Get up and get to work in the field. Oh, Okonorea, my wife... I fear this is the end. I am overcome with sickness and fear I will not last the hour. Please, gather the children. Yes, of course. Children, come in here. What is it, mother? We're all here. Your father is dying. Please, gather around so that we might hear his final wishes. Oh, what a terrible day. Intikuma. You will soon be the man of the house. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm not dead yet, but uh, I can feel it coming. Please, you must follow the funeral customs of my people. First, you must put me in a coffin, but leave it above ground. Place it in the garden. Then you must cut a hole in the top so that my corpse looks toward the sun. Finally, leave a pitcher of water by the coffin each day so that my spirit might drink from it. Hmm. Father, these are very specific demands. I have never heard of such funeral rites being performed. Hush, Intikuma! You think you know my own tribe's funeral rites better than me? You think you were smarter than your own father? On his deathbed? Hush, both of you. This is no way to spend our final moments together. Rest, Anansi. You've worked hard and given me three sons. We could not ask for more. Anansi gave a few more convincing coughs and body spasms, and then 
he lay totally still, the last breath wheezing out of his lips. As the ultimate trickster, he was able to slow his breathing and his heart rate to where they were nearly imperceptible. Okonorea wept over Anansi's corpse, as did the youngest three sons. But Entikuma stood at the back of the room, eyeing the scene with suspicion. He knew his father's ways and thought this business was all very suspicious. Nevertheless, he followed his father's instructions, making him a coffin and carving a hole in the top. They laid him to rest inside, and the brothers all carried the coffin out to the garden, where they sat it in sight of the vegetables Anansi had worked so hard to cultivate. Lastly, Entikuma filled a pitcher of water from the well, sitting it next to the coffin. The family stood at the burial site, sharing memories of their trickster father. They did not hold a large ceremonial funeral, as their father was not of the Ashanti. As the sun went down, they turned back toward the hut, ready to move on with their lives. In their absence, Anansi was finally able to drop the charade. He pushed the lid off of his coffin and stepped out into the garden. He smiled, breathing in the cool night air. This was more like it. Sleep all day, have peace and quiet at night. He moved to the garden where the yams and peas were growing in nicely. He picked some for himself, then lit a small fire and boiled the pitcher of water over it. He enjoyed cooked peas and yams with not a care in the world. Once he had his fill, he went back to lazing in his coffin. The next morning, Antikuma and his mother walked out into the garden. They were surprised to find that several of their vegetable plants had been plundered. Mother, someone has been stealing our crops. This cannot stand. Calm yourself, Intikuma. You're rash, just like your father. It was probably just some animals. Mother, animals do not carefully remove crops from the vine and eat them whole. This is clearly the work of father. Intikuma, hush now. Do not accuse the dead of misdeeds. Your father's body lies right next to us. And you don't think that is a bit strange? These special funeral customs? Did father ever even share what tribe he came from? No, but you know he was very private. He was a liar, mother, a trickster. He thought he was smarter than everyone else. Okonorea began to tear up, but then turned and headed back toward the hut. Antikuma felt a pang of guilt at making his mother cry, but then he remembered all the times his father's schemes had hurt her. He looked down at the coffin, where his father's face could be seen through the hole in the lid. He looked still, lifeless, but Antikuma wasn't convinced. He resolved to get to the bottom of this. That night, he would watch the farm from a distance and see just who was stealing the family's crops. That night, Anansi yawned and smiled as he awoke from another long slumber. His plan was working perfectly. His life was once again one of ease and comfort. 
He removed the lid from the coffin and climbed out into the garden. Humming to himself merrily, he began to pick a new round of vegetables to boil for his dinner. But then he heard a rustle of leaves behind him. He jumped with fright upon turning around to see his son, Antikuma, standing behind him. Hello, father. I wish I could say I was surprised. Before Anansi could stammer out a lame excuse, Antikuma grabbed him by the ear and dragged him toward the hut. As Anansi had aged and Antikuma had reached maturity, the young boy had become stronger than his elder. The son dragged his father all the way back into the house, waking his mother and brothers. Anansi! What? How is this possible? Open your eyes, mother. Father was never dead. He just deceived us all. He was sleeping in the coffin and coming out at night to reap the rewards of our labor. The boy is a liar. It is a miracle that I have returned to life, and he is trying to convince you otherwise. He was happy that I was dead. He thinks he is cleverer than me. He wants to unseat me as the head of the household. Oh, Anansi, just stop. I've lived through far too many of your schemes to believe you now. Antikuma is a good boy. He would wish you no ill will if you didn't deserve it. Anansi looked around the room. He saw Okonorea's disappointed face and Antikuma's rage. He saw the fear and confusion on the faces of his other three boys. He was reminded of his mother's disappointment, his father's rage, and he realized that in thousands of years, he hadn't changed one bit. He had failed to learn anything. Anansi felt shame for the first time in his life. It stung so deeply that he wished he could be anything other than human. As he thought this, a strange sensation overcame him. His whole body trembled with new energy, and he began to shake. Suddenly, he jumped upward, all the way to the ceiling. Anansi clung to the rafters with not four limbs, but eight. To his shock and horror, he realized that his body had transformed into that of a spider. He was now just like his father. Back on the ground, Okonorea and Entikuma were just as shocked as Anansi. You see, mother, he is not just from any tribe. There is more to Father's story than we know. Anansi, can you hear us? What has become of you? What is happening? But Anansi had no answers for her. Up in the rafters, he was prepared to crawl away in shame. But then a bright light appeared next to him. Anansi was temporarily blinded as the image of his father's face appeared, shimmering in the wood of the ceiling. He was filled with awe. It had been decades since he had seen any trace of the gods, but it took only a second for a feeling of anger to overwhelm him. Of course his father chose this moment to reveal himself. He wanted to be present for Anansi's greatest moment of shame. So Anansi, I see you have transformed into the spitting image of your father. I knew that you were not meant to live among the humans. You are too clever for them. This is not what I expected to hear from you, father. 
Perhaps the Python Onini was right all those years ago. You always wanted me to be just like you. But of course, you are my son. What father wouldn't want his son to carry on his greatness? You are nearly prepared to return to my kingdom. You will be reunited with the gods. You will get to see your mother. But first, take this. Anansi moved to catch a small pot that suddenly appeared before him. He used his arms to place it on his back and used some webbing to tie it down. What is it, father? I give you wisdom, the kind that only your creator can grant. It will allow you to return to us as a god. Take it to the top of the tallest tree in the forest, and there, open it. Drink in the wisdom and reclaim your destiny. Leave this squalor and this dream of humans behind you. Though it might be heartwarming to imagine that Anansi struggled with this offer, in truth, he took little time to consider. He was more than prepared to leave his human life and his family behind. Crawling on eight legs, he scurried rapidly from the ceiling to the wall to the door and out of the house. Antikuma watched this happen, and his rage only increased. Turning to his mother, he told her he would get her husband back or make sure that his life ended today. Anansi had just started to climb the tree when it began to rain. The water made the bark much more difficult to cling to, and it took all his energy not to be washed away. For a moment, Anansi wondered if his father was torturing him. Perhaps this was all an elaborate plan to embarrass his son again. But the sky god did not control the winds and rains of the earth. His mother did. Was this storm her doing? Did she not wish to see him again? Antikuma arrived and started to climb after his father. Within moments, he was nipping at Anansi's heels. He raged at him to come down, to give up. He shook the tree with all his might. This only made Anansi want to climb further. But the rain had intensified, and in his haste to climb, Anansi failed to notice the pot of wisdom slipping from his back. Anansi felt the pot give way, then turned to watch in horror as it tumbled to the ground. Antikuma smiled. His father's plot foiled. The pot shattered on the ground, immediately releasing wisps of wisdom into the air. The strong storm winds lifted them across Africa, across the Mediterranean, across Europe and Asia and the entirety of the world. The wisdom that would have made Anansi a god was enough to give each human on earth just a little wisdom of their own. Not everyone used this gift, but just enough people did. Kings suddenly gave a second thought to their subjects, Neighbors thought better of quarreling with one another. Husbands kept from striking their wives. And children considered minding their parents. This is how Anansi brought wisdom to the world. Antikuma's rage subsided. 
Looking up, he saw his father's spider body fall to the earth, and Tikuma raced forward and caught him. Father, I am sorry you did not return to being a god. I had no idea that you were descended from Niame himself. Forgive me. No, son. Forgive me. Only with a little wisdom do I realize now that my family on Earth loved me more than my father ever could. What good is being clever when you are alone? Besides, you are clearly more clever than I. You saw right through my schemes when your mother and others never could. No, better to live a few decades as a human than a thousand years as a god. Treat your own family better than I treated mine. Anansi crawled away and into the forest. His schemes continued for many years as he aided and thwarted men and animal alike. He became a legend, the trickster spider that bedeviled the creator himself. Just as Anansi's wisdom spread across the world, the real-life Anansi stories spread from West Africa and into the Caribbean as Africans were enslaved and forced to work on plantations. Eventually, this practice spread to the British colonies on the American continent, and the slaves of Georgia, Alabama, the Carolinas, Virginia, and more— The slaves continued the tradition of Anansi stories, but the myths transformed to match the storyteller's world. In the southern United States, Anansi the spider became Br'er Rabbit. The small animal, like Anansi, outwitted stronger creatures, and his schemes frequently led to further troubles. These tales helped the slaves to imagine a world in which they rebelled against their masters. But the tradition did not stop there. As mass media emerged in the 20th century, popular cartoons such as Tom and Jerry and Wile E. Coyote and the Roadrunner continued the theme of the small creature rebelling against a larger one. Even in the modern era, Anansi's influence is still felt. Some scholars argue that the comic book character Spider-Man, created in 1962 by writer Stan Lee and artist Steve Ditko, continues the tradition of the spider trickster. Beyond the obvious arachnid similarity, Spider-Man is a comparatively scrawny hero who uses his wits to outsmart larger enemies. And while his heroics bring salvation to the people of his city, they often lead to personal disaster. According to The Hollywood Reporter, Spider-Man is the most profitable and thus the most popular costumed hero in modern entertainment. What is it about Anansi and his trickster descendants that strikes such a chord? Human history is filled with suffering, and the chief characteristic of the trickster is that he suffers for his troubles. While other ancient mythological figures such as Thor or Zeus were worshipped for their perfection, Anansi was relatable. As Anansi experiences the pain of human existence, he does so with a smile. If he is doomed he is going to take his enemies with him. This means he's sometimes hateful and selfish, which allowed listeners of his stories to recognize their own hate, their own selfishness, and judge themselves less harshly. 
Essentially, a Nazi was human, but he was divine enough to trick God and carve out some small pleasure in life. His story is the story of the human experience, whether that be fighting against the elements as an ancient African, rebelling against the masters as a slave in the New World, or overcoming fear as a young comic book reader in the 21st century. This self-awareness that his story brings is no different than the wisdom that he shares with humanity. As the Ashanti and others told their Anansi stories for the first time thousands of years ago, they could have hardly imagined how their myths would influence storytelling for centuries to come. Though the name Anansi has become somewhat less known, the web of his influence remains a permanent fixture in human culture. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on Anansi, amongst the many sources we used, we found The Akan Trickster Cycle, Myth or Folktale by Kwesi Yanka extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app, tap Browse, and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children. And every other Saturday, we dive into another dark, classic tale. Several of you have asked how to help mythology. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, at Parcast, and Twitter, at Parcast Network. We'll be back next week with another epic tale. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Maggie Admire, Paul Mahler, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Mike Capozzi, Kai Jordan, Sky King, Samantha Moore, Steve Pinto, Brett Schneider, and Julian Smith. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson.